Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Episode 80 features the conclusion of Oscar's conversation with Anthony Epps. Epps, a 1996 national champion with Kentucky, holds nothing back as he speaks about his former coach, Rick Pitino, the assistants, and his former teammates. We'll get Anthony's thoughts about another Anthony, Anthony Davis, and we'll get to know Anthony a little bit more in finding out his favorite movie, favorite entertainer, favorite road arena, the most interesting person he encountered during his time at UK, and he'll even tell you about an incident playing flag football while at UK. Anthony Epps fought his way from the understanding he was going to be a walk-on, and then overcoming some adversity his junior year to making the untouchables exactly what they were, untouchable. Never mind the fact that Anthony Epps didn't score one point in the national championship game. As you will find out in this episode, his leadership and philosophy on and off the court speaks for itself. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House and Oscar's guest, Anthony Epps. Anthony, do you think had Kentucky defeated Arizona in the 97 championship game that Rick would have still gone to the NBA or do you think he would have returned for a three-peat had he beaten Arizona? I think he, I think Coach would have still left. Uh, you know, when everybody's dream job come along, you gotta you gotta jump at it. And the shot to go back to the NBA, where he wanted to be at, came along, and he he had to take it. He had to take it. With hindsight being twenty twenty, do you think that perhaps after he went there and it didn't turn out? that he might have wished he had stayed? Vital, vital. But uh, Coach was a competitor. He was a determined man. So he he knew that he can coach there and it didn't work out. From a player's perspective, I wish he would have stayed at Kentucky because I could just imagine how many titles we would have now. And Coach Cal is doing a great job. I don't want nobody to, to get upset or, you know, thinking I don't like Coach Cal and all that. I love what Coach Cal has done for our university. But I think a lot of people will wonder where Kentucky would, would have been if Rick never left, you know, because he was getting the, the best recruits, you know, just like Cal's doing now back then. So you can imagine, will we be talking about Kentucky with more championships than UCLA right now? Nobody never knows. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because uh, Cal is at that position right now. He's had a great nine, ten-year run. Yes. Uh, got a team coming back here that's going to be in the top two or three preseason. Uh, but he he's admitted that he's had the itch ever since he didn't make it. When right. he went out, 
just like Rick did, that someday he will go back. Now, he's sort of shied away from that here in the last oh, few months of going to the NBA. Uh, but do you think that his decision maybe to stay here instead of going might be predicated a little bit on, well, it didn't work out the way Rick wanted either, so maybe it wouldn't work out for me either. No, I think uh, I think Cal's going to end up when it's all said, he's going to make the best decision for for him and his family. You know, Cal is a is a very wise, smart man. And he's got to understand, uh, you know, he's going to do what's best for him. I, I, I think his wife loves it here. You know, he still has Brad, who's a junior now. Maybe in two years we may be discussing. You know, Brad's gone. He's been here 11, 12 years. Hopefully two more titles. Uh, you know, then he sat back and decided, do I want to retire from Kentucky with great – do I want to give it one more shot at the NBA? You never know. No, nobody never knows what's going to happen. I think Cal is a guy to just take it day by day and and goes with that. His focus right now is solely Kentucky basketball and those guys he's had and trying to win number nine. Looking back at it, uh, after Rick went with Boston, was there, I think, two-plus years or something like that, and then decided to come back to the college level. And at the time, he pretty much had his choice of UNLV or right. Michigan or Louisville. Right. Um, did he make a decision in going to Louisville? Or, uh, again, hindsight being twenty twenty, he was there, gosh, what, uh, 16, 17 years. Yes. I, I think he did. He, he made the best choice for him. Uh, Tradition-wise, Louisville has great tradition. And Coach P wanted, wanted that. Would he have been great at UNLV and Michigan? He would have. He would have, but he wouldn't have had the success that he had at UofL. And one thing that he did when he went to UofL was he spiced up the rivalry between UK and UofL. <laughs> uh, I used to get asked all the time, was I upset? No, because it's not like he it's not like he left the NBA in Kentucky and Louisville. Both jobs were open, and he chose Louisville. He took the best job for him. So you could never – get mad at, a, at someone for, for making the best decision at the time for them. Looking back at it, uh, he spent, what, 16, 17 years at Louisville, but he only had one title. But yet you thought he would have had a number had he stayed at Kentucky. Is that because the matchup would have been better with him at Kentucky than at Louisville? Or, or what do you attribute that to? I just think Kentucky's Kentucky. Uh, he has some talent at Louisville. I'm not going to take that away. But I, I think you get a different level of talent at Kentucky because it just there's something about it. You know, maybe words can't describe it. You know, Louisville's talented every year. North Carolina's talented every year. They get talented kids. But Kentucky gets some special kids. At Kentucky, Calipari's had several Final Fours. I think he went to maybe four, five. Uh, the title – but 10 years now, and, and there are some people who will say he's had a great run, and he has, but they'll say he has the same number of titles as Tubby Smith. Right. And that's people being people. They're always going to find the negative in a lot of positives. You know, if you just watch NBA opening night, Calipari guys are everywhere, you know. And that's what he preaches, to, to help the kids, help their families. And he preaches that. 
Will we like more titles? Yes, we all will want more titles. We all want more titles. We want a title this year. Cal knows that. But at the end of the day, if you lose, you lose. If you win, you win. You move on. And those kids still go on and be able to help their families. I was never a big NBA fan, I have to admit, until the last seven or eight years. And I sort of caught it just like you described it. And opening night this week, uh, Anthony Davis, who I, I think is probably one of the more reserved players as far as talk. Yes. Than anybody in my memory of that star status, but suddenly in the off season, he he's come out with "I'm the best." I love it. <laughs> I mean, I sort of love it in a way, but he's just one I would have never dreamed that would come out and say "I'm the best," and then pretty much backing it up. He's backing it up. He, I think he's closed the gap. I think he's closed the gap between him and LeBron and Durant. Durant, and then you could throw Steph and Westbrook. I throw Steph Curry in there. Okay, Steph. I throw Steph Curry up there, as, and then Westbrook and Harden. You know, that's probably top five. You can, you can put them in a, in a hat and pull them out, and you're still gonna have a great player. And he uh, still dives on the floor like a, a five eleven guard. Yes. You like that, or you think that he needs to sort of watch that as far as longevity of his career? It's basketball. If you're not gonna compete and you're not gonna do the little things. To help your team win, why even play? You know, too many guys, and I may come out wrong. Too many guys are playing for money and not for the love of the game. You know, you got guys want to get traded over this amount of money or that amount of money. You're making an astronomical amount of money now. If you love the game, you will do the things that Anthony Davis does. You will be the type of competitor that uh, LeBron James is. You know. And then you got LeBron James with probably the ultra competitor in the NBA, Ray John Rondo. You know, so the Lakers are going to do great things, but I love Anthony Davis coming out saying, I'm the best. Now, some guys going to laugh at it because they're going to say, well, LeBron or KD or Steph. But he's, he's done something now that's pushing himself to come out night in and night out and work. The odds are he will be someplace other than New Orleans in two years. Do you think that Boston or L.A. is the most likely place? Go to L.A. I would go to L.A. Uh, you know, LeBron, he got the four-year contract. He's getting older. You can come in. That becomes your franchise. Even though New Orleans is yours, but L.A. is L.A. L.A. is – the NBA version of a Kentucky or Duke at college, you know, it doesn't get even bigger than that. No matter what type of season you have, it's always going to be a star-studded event. Did you happen to see uh, New Orleans' uh, opening game a couple nights ago? I did. What did you think of Julius Randle? Loved it. He's in, the, he's in the perfect place for him. He finally found the fit to play with somebody that complements his game. I think that uh, New Orleans is perfect for him. L.A. was – not for him because of the way they played and the people that was around him. Now he's with a coach, Alvin Gentry, that's, that knows basketball really well and will put them in a, in a great situation. And with great teammates, you got him and uh, the uh, Drew, I think it's Drew, played at UCLA, the point guard, number 11. Uh, 
I, I think it's a perfect fit for him, and now he's going to have a great NBA career from this point on. Kentucky this year. I'm waiting to see. I, I'm not – I'm an alumni, but I'm not a guy that's – every day something comes out, I'm breaking my neck to read about it because I'm the type of person that what you do at preseason, what you do at Madness, what you do at Bahamas, it don't matter until the real games count. That's going to tell when you get in front of those 20,000 how you're going to perform, and then you go on the road and you're the worst thing that's ever been born by some of those fans. How are you going to respond to, to stuff like that? That's what I'm waiting for this season. Do you think that the league has finally come around to the point where they've got a number of quality teams for the first time since maybe back in the 90s? Tennessee and Auburn, Mississippi State. Yes, the league is finally back to recognition across the board and among all college basketball. It goes by ADs hiring great coaches. You know, Auburn has Bruce Pearl. Tennessee has a great coach. Barnes Is it Barnes? Yeah, Rick Barnes. Rick Barnes. And then uh, Ben Howland at Mississippi, Mississippi State. State, who has great credentials from his runs at UCLA. What about the Drew kid at Vanderbilt? I like Bryce, but I, I think it's going to take Bryce a couple years. You know, he's got to get the kids. I think Vanny's a tough sell for a lot of kids uh, to to go there, but he's doing a great job. And I think he's going to bring a little excitement back back to the SEC as well. That is a very tough place to win in when they've got talent. Yes, it is very, very tough. Just the whole setup of you set, you got to get used to sitting on the benches, which is it's good and bad. It's good that you're on the on the uh, baseline because the coach can't yell in your ear all night. Yeah, it's bad because if you're on the other end and you got to communicate, that's, that's a long ways to communicate. Growing up, who was your first sports idol? Growing up, uh, probably a guy that played at Marion before me when I was in middle school. His name was Rick Sanders. You know, I went into the – back then you only had 13 channels. <laughs> on, on TV, so you didn't. You, You're older than I thought you were. <laughs> you only watch minimal amount of uh, TV. You know, we always got the Louisville games, the UK games. Uh, but I never wasn't dreaming that big. So Rick Sanders, who was at Marion at the time, was the the star. That's who I wanted to be when I got to high school. Your all-time favorite athlete of any sport, any level. All-time favorite sport. Uh, see, it's going to be Michael Jordan or Deion Sanders. That's a coin toss. Who's your favorite entertainer of all time? Favorite entertainer? That's a, that's a good one, Oscar. You, you stumped me now. Uh, I guess you say Michael Jackson. Okay, good. Uh, your favorite movie of all time? Favorite movie is... Uh, Shawshank Redemption. If you had one famous last meal, what would it consist of? One famous last meal. Or your favorite last meal, I should say. Uh, probably uh, a good ribeye steak and baked potato. Sounds like you need to go to uh, uh, Rafferty's right now. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I'm a big Rafferty's fan. Good. <laughs> Favorite sports team of all time? 
favorite sports team of all time would be uh, probably the Dallas Cowboys when you had Emmy Smith, Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, and all those big guys up front. Your best college game as a Wildcat? Uh, I would have to say in the SEC tournament, my senior year, uh, Coach Moo Wayne Turner, the point guard, moved me to two guard because I think Allen Edwards may have been hurt at the time. I scored like 22 points against Georgia, ended up making the all-tournament team for the SEC. Is one of them. What would be the most forgettable game you ever played in? Ooh. One you'd like to have never happened. One do I like to never happen? I really don't know. You know, I really don't know. You know, it, some nights when you play good, you still got chewed out because you didn't play as good as coach wanted you to play. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if I can go back and really think about it, I won't say maybe one night we played Mississippi State at home, uh, didn't play too well. I think the crowd booed a little bit because we weren't playing well, and we went back and had a late-night practice, like a 12-01 practice. Were there many of them in four years? No, sir. I think that was the only one. We got the point. Uh, you know, Coach Coach knew when he had to push the extra buttons. And I, I really believe there was a Mississippi State night at home. Best college opponent you faced in four years? Uh, DeJuan Wheat, who played at UofL at the time, was cat quick, uh, Tremendous, tremendous basketball player. And I tell people that all the time, even though I played against some of, some of the greats out there. The favorite arena you most like to play in on the road or away from Rupp? Like Arkansas, for the, uh, the new Arkansas when it first came out. I never got to play in the old mm-hmm. Barnhill, the little cage arena. Uh, you like to silence the critics then? Yes, I, I love Arkansas just for the atmosphere. And I also love playing in the Dome against Indiana up in Indianapolis. Most hostile road arena? Arkansas. School with the best hecklers? Mississippi State of Ole Miss is right up there. (laughs) (laughs) Biggest disappointment in your four-year career at Kentucky? My biggest disappointment is probably not having a plan of what I was going to do when I got done, you know. I wish I would have sat down, like I said, sat down with Coach and, and had a plan out. I wish I would have gotten a coach in college basketball back then, like like Allen Edwards did when he first came out, stuff like that. Any superstitions while you were playing? Uh, the main thing was when we uh, every time we had to walk through, make sure you. When the walk through was over, I would never take a shower then. And this is people. I'm not dirty. I'm not a dirty person. So <laughs> don't think it. But I never would take a shower right after walk through. Uh, I would wait till we come back to the gym before the game. You like to have that sweat already worked up for the game? Take a shower before the game. Oh, before the game, and then go out there and play. Most interesting person that you met 
while attending UK. Probably Muhammad Ali. Tell me a little bit about it. Just when you read and hear so much about a person and then you finally meet him. You How get, do you meet him? You get humble. He came, He was at the game. He sat on our bench one night. He came in, you know. At Rupp. At Rupp. And I, I still have a picture of it, too. And it's just, you know, when you read about a person and hear so much about them and then finally meet them, it, it's just a humbling experience. Most unusual thing to happen to you during your four years? I Probably the, the incident with flag football. You know, I played a little flag football while I was at UK and missed a couple classes to go out to play flag football games and got into a little. Well, tell me a little bit more. You just piked my interest. Yeah, yeah. got into it. You know, you know, flag football was, was big back then at UK and over at Seton Center with now on those fields. And, you know, I played with a bunch of guys that played high school football as well. And so, and the thing, the games was like on Monday night, so I would skip class a little bit on Monday night, go play a little flag football game. So one night uh, we out there playing, and a guy, you know, as other competitive league, called me out of my name, he called me something that shouldn't been said on his part. Mm-hmm. So and he had a hat, and, I, and basically all I did was, you know, I ripped his hat off, off his head, threw it down, stomped on it. He turned me in. And yeah, he turned me in into the uh, the office, the dean, dean of students, and you know had to go through a bunch of uproar over hat. But I ended up having to pay twenty five dollars to get the hat hat back to him, and he had to apologize for what he said. So that was kind of strange. Today, what kind of advice would you give to a young eight, ten, eleven year old kid? about what he should do, how he should uh, work to be a success in life? Uh, set goals. Work hard at your goals. But the biggest thing is is to have fun. Uh, I think nowadays we, we see kids just working extra hard, and I hate to say this, but through their parents, and maybe parents are living through these kids of want to see them successful. But sometimes you just got to sit back and enjoy the ride of your child. Uh, you know, I got a I got a son that goes to UK now. He's a sophomore. And I know deep down in his heart he wished he was somewhere playing college basketball. But he understood that academics would take him wherever he wants to go. And he's a very educated young man, a great student. And I think academics is his way, whereas Michaela was you know, a basketball star. So just let your kids find their own niche and let them enjoy being kids. That sort of leads me into the question I had written down here for next, and that is at what age in your life did you realize or decide that a degree is very important for you for the rest of your life? Uh, it's 34. You know, wow, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do, you know. I knew basketball was done, and I kept telling myself, if you want to coach at the level you want to get to, you have to go to school. 
And then I had a lot of people uh, that I worked with at Marion County when I was an aide that told me that I could be good at, at the teaching profession. So I just took their advice, and the more I thought about it, and then I, you know, I had a thing in, in back of my head about Mr. Kitley's telling me you can make a great college coach one day. So I decided that if I want to get to that level, I have to go back and get my degree. So I got my bachelor's and then took uh, six months off and went back, and then I got my master's. So I got a bachelor's from Mid-Continent University and a master's. And 20 years ago, I never thought I would be at that point to where I could say I have a bachelor's and a master's. Awesome. I'm sure you got a lot of memories, collectibles, from your championship year at Kentucky and your four-year career. What's your, what's your uh, favorite memento that you have from your career, sports-wise? Um, my favorite is probably a, a, a photo album that was given to me by a fan. That You don't know why you're going through it, how you're impacting somebody else's life. And I had a, I had a lady, an older lady, uh, that made a photo album of me and, you know, stuff that I didn't know people did. You know, I knew that we had the greatest fans in America. But, and the thing was, she said she loved the way I played, my sportsmanship, and things like that. So, that's probably one of the greatest. Outside your family, who's been the most influential person in your life? Probably, uh... Tim Davis, who's my high school coach, that took me in uh, when I was in middle school. Uh, and he's now a colleague because he's still coaching high school ball after, seemed like forever, <laughs> over at Camelville. He's a boys coach in the AD. And just him and his family are like my second family. So, Favorite memory of your four years at Kentucky? My favorite memory is probably just not a not a game, not a practice, but the brotherhood, you know, of the guys that we all come from different parts and places. And we are truly brothers. You know, we become a brotherhood that we see each other now and it's like yesterday, like nothing's changed. I just seen Jeff Shepard a couple of weeks ago in Camelsville because his daughter goes to CU now and plays basketball. And he brought his son to a camp that I was working in. You know, we sat there and we chopped it up just like old times. And then Stacy was with him, his wife. You know, getting to meet his kids, it's just it's a special feeling. Is there anything, if you had it a little over, that you would have changed as far as your four years at Kentucky? Probably the biggest thing would have been, uh, you know, walking out of Kentucky with my degree. You know, and I tell people all the time, they say, what did you go to Kentucky to major in? I say basketball. <laughs> I'm just keeping it 100%. Now, when I was here, I was focused on on basketball. I wasn't a horrible student, but I wasn't the, the, the best student. And I wish I would have been better. And, and walking out when I was done, walking out with my degree from the University of Kentucky. How would you like to be remembered? As a winner. You know, as a winner. As a small-town kid that came in to a big-time university, worked his tail off, started 
like I say, at, at the bottom as a 12th man, uh, ended up as a starting point guard for one of the best programs ever. Let's talk a little bit about some people that you got to be lifelong friends with, players, coaches, people around the program, and start out with Tony Dell. Shooter. Best shooter. Best shooter I ever played with. Jeff Shepard. Brother. Because we came in together. Uh, we were at the the little game in Louisville, at the out McDonald's game, the little all-star game they had in Louisville. You know, that's where we first met and got to know each other. Just true brother. Walter McCarty. Talented. Very, very talented. Not only was he great at basketball, but he could sing. And he, he could also run a 430-mile at 6'11". <laughs> Chris Harrison. Rumi. That's my roommate. My first roommate when I got to UK. Jamel Martinez. G-Man. Just gritty. Uh, got the best out of all his abilities. Mark Pope. Great. Great guy. Jeff Bresso. Warrior. Andre Reddick. <laughs> I'm smiling right now. There's <laughs> so much you can say about Dre. Just uh, tremendous, tremendous person. Jerry Prickett. Gritty. Gritty. He came in with high uh, accolades. Things didn't go his way, but he stuck with it and still went out on top. Rodney Dent. Banger warrior. Uh, potentially one of the best big men that could have been here. Travis Ford. Kentuckian. Uh, knowledge of the game of basketball. Smart basketball player. Roderick Rhodes. Superstar. Scott Padgett. Uh Shooter, uh, Scott Patrick could have, you know, tra he transcended the game for us at UK to be 6'9 with a stroke so sweet. Alan Edwards. Fighter. He went through injuries. He was from Miami, coming to cold weather, Lexington, Kentucky, <laughs> and he survived. And then he's doing great out in Wyoming. Cameron Mills. Second place. He would know what that means because I beat him at the state title. I saw he's second place. <laughs> <laughs> Derek Anderson. Superb athlete. Ron Mercer. Superb athlete as well with Derek Anderson. Wayne Turner. Burner. There was no person in in college basketball, they could stop him from getting to the basket. Nazi Mohammed. There's so many things you can say about Nazi. Just resilient, resilience, the way he came in and the way he he finished. Oliver Simmons, the big O. The little O. You're the big O. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. What that that? Jason Lanthrum. Different. Jason was different, but he enjoyed his time. He was a little different. Jamal McGlore. Jam. We called him Jam because his, his hands were so big. It was just the Canadian crusher.
Steve Massiello. Fun loving. Fun loving. Hishimu Evans. Now he is a true warrior. Let's 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 talk about a, a few people you might want to expand on a little bit more, tell a good story about him. Uh each of these guys, but uh uh Let's start with Bill Kitely. What did he mean to the program? What did he mean to you as a player or as a person? And what's his legacy? The late Bill Kitely, I should say. Mr. Kitely is Kentucky basketball. You know, you can have no one person is bigger than Kentucky basketball, no one coach, no one player. But Mr. Kitely is Kentucky basketball. When you think of Kentucky basketball, you think of Bill Kitely. Uh good days or bad days, to him you were still the same person. You know, he never got too high at the win. He never got too low at the loss. The next day when you walked to his office, you were still, How you doing, kid? How's your day going? He seemed to be the kind of guy that you could have a problem with anybody and everybody on the team, but when you walked in his office he'd put the arm around you. He would. And, and your day got better. You know, it's just, he was the father figure we had away from home. In the the old, maybe not father, maybe grandpa way. He was, he was that grandpa that no matter what, he was always going to do something to uplift you. Johnny Joe Idaho. Johnny Joe Idaho. One of Coach Patino's guys, uh, but he loved the program, and that's that's basically all you can say is he, he loved the program. He loved being around the program. Uh, he had your back no matter what. Another one of the guys that was part of some people would call it Patino's Mafia, <laughs> Jersey Red Ford. Love Red. We love Jersey Red. Uh, Late Jersey Red, I should say. And everybody knew when he came in town because he would let you know that he was in town. And, he, you know, I think it was more of him and Patino's relationship, no matter where he was, than, than the program of the University of Kentucky. But he always fit right in with everybody. Van Florence. Van the man. Van the man was always there every ball game, uh, home or away, traveled. Uh, just a true, true Kentucky Wildcat basketball fan, along with Bob Wiggins. I don't know if he was coming up next, but he's coming up next. The big blue, those fan. two, those two there. Uh, tell a little funny story. We was out in San Jose, played UCLA, didn't play too well, lost. I think Van and Mr. Wiggins was talking instead of getting on the bus like Coach Patino had ordered everybody get on the bus, let's get on the plane, go home. And they was a little late, so everybody was like, "What is he gonna do? What did Rick do? Rick pulled off." So Van and Van and uh, Mr. Wiggins had to catch a cab to the plane. And, you know, and we just, now you look back on it, you just laugh at it. Let's talk a little bit about some of the, uh, the managers and the support people around that you had association with, uh, Simeon Mars. A t- true friend. He, was, he came in t- around the same time as Jamal McGlure and – 
you know, somebody you can always go talk to, and, and he befriended everybody, just a, a great person. Eddie Jamil? Fast Eddie. We call at Fast Eddie was when you got hurt, the one thing he tell you is put ice on. He thought ice was a cure for everything. You know, ice this, ice that. Sometimes you need a little bit more, but he iced. Sean Brown. Oh, a lot to I owe a lot to uh Sean Brown because he helped me change my body, change my attitude, change my mentality, and 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 got me stronger while I was here to where I was able to 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 play at the level Coach Patino wanted and through his hard work of helping me, he put me in the best shape of my life. Tommy Boyd. Tom was the assistant back then uh, with us. Sean was the head strength and conditioning. Tom was the assistant, uh, push you every day. And and I think later down the road, Tom became the head, the head strength and conditioning guy for men's basketball. Joanne Hauser. She was a trainer. She was one of our first trainers, uh, very caring. She did what was best for the for the guys, even if it was not up to coaches liking, but you know, it was best for the student athlete. I think there was uh, actually a difficult parting of ways. I think so. I think so. Yes, sir. Jeff Morrow. The manager back then. I think he's at Iroquois High School coaching basketball now. He won a state title at J-Town. Uh, called him Magic. Magic Morrow. He, Why Magic? I don't know. It, it was there when we got there, so we just continued. It. Uh, just continued. To, uh, but just a great individual. Vinny Tatum. Same, you know, Vinny was a manager. One thing I can say about all our managers is we had the utmost respect for them because, you know, they don't get a lot of credit, but they do a lot of the dirty work. A guy who not very many people knew around Kentucky basketball other than the team and the inner workings, who suddenly become famous, Frank Vogel. Frank. Frank was a, was a manager back when I was in school. Uh, Coach Patino started a JV team. Frank played on it. The next thing you know, he's now a famous, not a, a great NBA coach. Yeah. You know, he did a great job up in Indianapolis. And I think he started as like a video coordinator or something in Boston when Rick went. Well, uh, yeah, I think so, he I think he was a video recorder the last year here, that he was here too. Yes, yes. And then went there, and then I think, didn't he end up at Orlando? Yes, he was at Orlando for a couple years. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody that uses resources – to get him to where he wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, assistant coaches, Winston Bennett. Kentuckian, uh, hard-nosed, uh, great work ethic. Uh, just a lot of respect because he was from the state of – for me, because he was from the state of Kentucky. He went to a male, male high school, and then he went to U.K., and then he came, had a great career in the pros, and then he came back to U.K. to coach. So I had a lot of respect for him because I knew he knew the game. Bernadette Locke Maddox. Tough. She was tough as nails. She was a, a, a lady in a man's profession, and she did an outstanding, outstanding job. And she gained the respect of everybody that came through the program when she was here. Delray Brooks. Cool. Cool, calm. Uh, you know, Delray was a type when – Coach would go off on you. <laughs> He'd get Coach be upset at when you walking off out of practice. Del Ray put his hand around you, tell you, uh, you know, it's going to be okay, but listen to Coach because he knows because Del Ray played for him. So he, he knew. Jimmy O'Brien. 
Coach O. Coach O was was an X and O's coach. Uh, loved him because he always put you in the right situation, never told you nothing wrong, and always had your back. And Billy Donovan. Billy D. Uh, smiles comes to my face because uh, when I see Coach Donovan and what he did, it kind of mirrors me. I, w- I wasn't as talented as Coach D was with handling the basketball, but the way he learned on the, under Coach P is the same way I learned on him, under him. And uh, just picking up things that Coach Donovan would tell me on a daily to help me become a better point guard and to help me stay on Coach P's good side. You know, you can never – could never lose that Coach Diamond was one of the best coaches I ever had. This last one, and feel free to take whatever time you need or whatever you want to say. Your thoughts going back, first recruited, playing under Rick Patino, the the things that he's uh, gone through, and what you hope his future is. Uh, well, go back to the beginning. Being recruited by him was a major a major accomplishment for me being a student athlete in the state of Kentucky, getting a chance to to come and play at your at the state school uh, with great tradition, uh, having a chance to to earn my keep. You know, a lot of people can go to college and they just get handed stuff. With Coach Patino, everybody earned their keep. He didn't care who you were. He treated everybody the same. Uh, Antoine Walker, who's probably one of the greatest players here, all the way down to a Cameron Mills, you know, everybody got treated the same. And not saying Cameron's at the low, low, but just making a, a point that nobody was treated different. Uh, coach, I will always respect Coach because he gave me the chance. He seen something in me that uh, maybe others didn't see talent-wise, and he gave me a chance to to perform at a platform that in college basketball you couldn't ask for nothing else. What he's going through now or what he went through I tell people all the time that they ask me, do you think he knew? I don't. Coach, they say college coaches know everything. College coaches don't know everything. They know what they see or what they hear. I think the situation at Louisville, some is on him because he was the coach. But I think this last issue of paying the recruit is coming out to be the truth. He said he never knew. I said it from the beginning, I don't think he did. And I think it's coming out now that he may not have known. And, you know, you just wish him the best. Right now, Coach is in a, at a great spot in his life. I don't think he needs to worry about coaching basketball anymore. He's a Hall of Famer. The only thing that may bring him back is he didn't get to go out on his own terms. And I think that's what all coaches and players, they want to go out on their own, on their own terms. And, you know, whatever happens, I wish him the best. I never – disrespect him. Uh, people can say whatever they want to about him. To me, I'm always going to respect Coach because he gave me the chance to, to come to the University of Kentucky and, and live out a dream of playing college basketball. What message would you send to the Kentucky fans as your feelings toward what the program has meant to you and how you would like to see it to go in the future, and particularly for you and your daughter, Michaela, both? The biggest thing with me is – to Kentucky fans is, you know, I won't say thank you for my four years of being the greatest fans in college basketball. And then a double thank you for the way y'all uh, accepted my daughter into the Kentucky basketball family. 
and the career she had and the way everybody supported her in the women's program. And just keep, as Kentucky fans, keep your expectations high of championship, championship, but understand that these are teenagers out there. It's not like they want to play bad when they play bad. And, you know, I'm not going to be that armchair coach at home that throws stuff at TV when kids are not playing bad or screaming at those kids because I know it's, at one time I was that kid. So the biggest thing is just keep your expectations high and understand these are teenagers. These are somebody's kids that sometimes bad stuff said about them and you wouldn't want that to be said about your, your son or daughter and just enjoy the ride. You know, we're the greatest tradition in basketball in my mind, so we're going to keep that. And we got to act that way. We got to act the way, act the part too. It's not just when you're winning. It's also if, if things not going right. So just keep being keep being the greatest fans in America. And, and I love you. And like I said, I thank you for my time, my daughter's time. And let's keep this thing going in the future. Our thanks to Anthony Epps for taking part in the last two episodes of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. For part one of Oscar's conversation with Anthony and many more great episodes of Conversations, they're always available at oscarcombs.com. And also available for your mobile devices. Search for at Wildcat News in the Google Play Store, iTunes, and Stitcher, and subscribe. To follow Anthony Epps on Twitter, he's at Epps underscore Anthony. The Big O on Twitter, he's at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and on behalf of Anthony and Oscar, thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.